Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker, and whether you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS or the podcast platform of your choice, we thank you so much for joining us. We finally made it through the League's Cup break, and we're on the cusp of city matches once again. To celebrate it this week, we have a fun show, a little bit of a different flavor for you this week. I'm joined by my friends in soccer, Stuart Holkren, and our guest host helping us out this week, Jake Henry. Jake, as the guest of honor, let's start with you. How are you? And if you want to say a little bit about yourself, since it's your first time here, feel free. Well, I am. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, well, I, I'm just I'm 19, going through life, you know, and uh, loving city, loving soccer, and just following following the path in the supporter section right there. You can't ask for more, right? I mean, this is the perfect time to be a soccer fan in St. Louis and Stu more than anything. I think you embody a lot of that spirit with your work on TIFO and just everything going on. So how are you, man? It's been a while since you've been able to join us. Oh, I pop in and out. I got a baby and I, uh, have a baby. TIFO's <laughs> the baby and the <laughs> baby's there too. But, um, no, Jake is being uh, very uh, humble. He's a great follow on Twitter if uh, you are on Twitter or X or whatever it's called nowadays. Um, but uh, anything City 2 related, uh, follow Jake. Uh, I'm doing great, though. I'm really looking forward to this Sunday. It's been a very, very long break. As much as I've loved the League's Cup, I love seeing uh, St. Louis city soccer more. You can't beat it. And so let's dive right into it, guys. We've got some player notes and news to talk about from training this week as the team returned to training on Wednesday of this week for a Sunday match, which is of course, you can't come right back into it on a normal match day. You've got to make it a Sunday at eight 30 with an eight 55 PM kickoff because why not? But the good news is it seems like everything's trending in the right direction for the player player wise. Jabulu Blom, everything we hear is is 100%. He's good to go. Joachim Nilsson, he's practicing fully with the team after playing a couple City 2 matches, going 45 minutes and 78 minutes. He didn't travel to Atlanta, but the fact that he's actually training with the full team and everything's going well is a good sign. Klaus has finally returned to training on Wednesday with the full team. He returned in some short shorts. So on those two, those two things, guys, you know, Jake, let's start with you. What do you think of uh, Nielsen, Klaus, and, I mean, the short shorts, right? Tell me something about that. Well, uh, um, I, I, I'm very excited for Klaus, Nelson. I mean, who, who isn't excited about Nelson coming back, right? So just the, the potential he has and, like, of course, Lutz's praise of him and just how he can be the best MLS defender is just how, who wouldn't that excite right and so to touch on the uh on the short shorts i didn't get to see much I, I didn't get to see much of uh of uh tyler blackwood i i didn't follow stlfc till the last year so i unfortunately have to go with klaus even though i have seen tyler blackwood though they're they're Pretty good short shorts, though, that Klaus is wearing. I mean, he, he hiked them up pretty good. Uh, but I mean, is, at, at what point are they not are, are they even not considered shorts, though? I, well, <laughs> there's a situation <laughs> which they uh, become not publicly uh, 
viewable, but as they right. were, those were fantastic short shorts, I think. Klaus wore them well, yeah. and it's just yeah. great to see him training again. And, I mean, if he wore them higher, I, I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> but oh, <God. laughs> I don't think you could wear them much higher. Before we get off the rails entirely on this one, let's talk about some of our newer guys that we signed as well, because it's fantastic to get all the guys back who were injured and to have them rejoin the team and to finally move forward with everybody that we hoped to have in the first place and hope to have this season. But Nook V. Thorson, Anthony Markanik, guys that we've we signed that they are our transfer window darlings. Uh, Thorson, who clarified for us this week that it is Thor. So I think that's to the the reprieve of all of us who wanted that kind of a name we now have. He debuted with the team in training on Wednesday as well. He's going to wear the number 29. Anthony Markanik trained with the team last week, played about 30 minutes or so against Atlanta in the scrimmage this past weekend. And he's going to be wearing the number 13. What do you guys make of both of these guys? Uh, obviously, we haven't seen much of them outside of just hearing about them in training, but uh, Jake, what are you excited about with Thorson and Markanik? Well, for, for Thorson, I'm just really excited about the depth that he initially adds to the attacking uh, phase of the field. And with, I, I think both of them do provide a lot of depth that they really need in those positions. Yeah, one of the things that I like about Thorsten is the all-around attack. You know, he he comes he comes to us where everybody's seeing highlights from the left wing, but According to Bradley Carnell, he's an all-around attacker, so we can look to see what kind of models can fit between Rasmus Alm, Nico Joachini, Sam Adeneron, Klaus when he returns, Thorson. There's a lot of opportunities there, Jake. And Stu, I, I wonder with with both of those guys and with seeing some of the on, the, on the flip side, you could have guys like Isak Jensen and Miguel Perez training with City 2 this week and probably playing Friday night against Timbers too. What do you think about some of these new guys joining our team and the depth that they provide? Well, it's always good to have more bodies. Um, Thorson, I mean, he's a, he's a tall guy. I think he's six two, uh, but he's he's muscular uh, to add that attack on the left or centrally. Uh, I mean, it's fantastic, and I love how Carnell's not stamping him in for the left wing. And that was a position we were weak on if we, we needed reinforcements there. Um, it's, it's hard to say because I haven't seen him. I don't think most people have watched a lot of Icelandic competition or, you know, second league Belgian tier soccer, but I fully trust what Lutz is bringing to the team and he's very enthusiastic and you have to love how he has that Thor lightning. It's just a fun moniker to have. And it's something that can excite the fan base, I think. And the thing to me to remember is he seems like a prototypical Lutz signing where you don't know much about him outside of some random YouTube highlights or hearing certain things said from a uh, Manuel Veth or sources that he has. But, but you see the transfer fee that we ended up paying for him while talked down from the original million or so that Beershot was talking about wanting. It's still the third highest transfer fee in our young club's existence after Klaus and Leuven. 
And so I do think there, to me anyway, there's some expectations that come with that. Maybe not right away because you still need to have him learn the system, adapt to the play style that we have, and adapt to his teammates as well. I don't think three days in training is going to be enough to see him at all on Sunday. So I'm tempering expectations initially. But the sheer fact that he's he's thrown right in, he's able to train with the team all week, and there's no fitness issues after his layoff from this summer because he's still in preseason mode, it bodes well for me that with 11 games left, he seems to be slotting right in pretty quickly with, with no injury concerns, with coming in right alongside his teammates. And whether it's against Austin or Orlando or Kansas City, whoever he debuts against, that's going to be some added depth in the attack that is going to be exciting to see going forward, whether it's a, in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 formation. There's a lot of opportunities once he gets acclimated to the system. Yeah, just imagine uh, Thorson getting subbed on against uh, Casey and scoring the winner for his debut. That would be fantastic. But yeah, no, it, it takes time. But all these guys, I mean, soccer is such a massive scouting network that you just have to trust guys who have a feel for it. And Thorson, Nielsen... All these guys, um, I mean, who rated Klaus before the last year? I mean, exactly. There's so much talent there. And um, Lutz has those networks and Carnell does as well. And it's just, you have to have faith. Yeah. And once they debut and once they score five or six goals and, and win us a cup or two, that's when we can... Uh, bask in the glory while we're looking ahead to those certain things jake i'm curious what you think about the the last bit of news from this week and it's the third homegrown signing that we have tyson pierce so the the big news big news st louis city had is they've signed their third homegrown player a bit of a different way they've announced it too right like it wasn't just they signed him and all of a sudden he has a contract it's signing him as a homegrown starting next year where this year Tyson Pierce was signed to an MLS next pro contract for the remainder of 23. His, his homegrown deal starts in 24 goes through 2027 with an option for 28 and Tyson Pierce, for those who don't know, has a pretty impressive resume under his belt already. He's played on up through our Academy with the under 17s. He's seen time with city too. He saw time in training camp with city. He was with the U S youth national team, uh, for, with his first call up uh, down in Miami, there was uh, there was there's was, was his first call up alongside the training with the team in Miami, rather. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics at play here that see him as that prototypical following in the footsteps of Miguel Perez and Caden Glover. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. And I I hated to interrupt because I like I said I'm really excited about this signing because it, it not only uh puts faith in the academy it it puts more faith into it it just keeps their vision going you know know, like it it backs up their vision for st louis city soccer and soccer players absolutely and that's exciting for the future what's really exciting right now as we pivot over to the here and now and you're listening to us on the big 550 ktrs as we're now transitioning to our Austin FC preview. Guys, we're finally back to a point where we can start previewing 
matches for City. Stu, you said earlier how long it's been, and I feel like we're we're going to be rusty at this because as long as the players have had off, it seems like we've been trying to bide our time over the past few weeks with Santi and me holding it down, looking at just big picture stuff, looking at uh, the season so far, but this is it. So let's let's dive into it, guys. I'm going to I'm going to kick us off and kind of set the stage before I leave it to you two. St. Louis City, for those of you who don't recall, are in first place in the Western Conference of MLS. <laughs> 41 points through 23 games are 13, 8 and 2 record with 43 goals scored, 27 goals against. That's a plus 16 goal differential, along with an 8, 3 and 1 home record. So City Park is our fortress. Our form coming into this, if a form matters at this point with such a long layoff, we had those two Leagues Cup matches that we lost against Columbus Crew 2-1 and against Club America 4-0. But before that, it was a little bit more sunshine and rainbows after having been the final team to defeat Inter-Miami. And we did it 3-0 on July 20th. At, or Austin, on the other hand, Austin comes into this fifth place in the West, 32 points through 23 games. So we're even on games. We're finally at a point where most teams are even on games at 23. Austin sitting there about nine points below us with a 9-9-5 record, 32 goals, 32 goals against, a zero goal differential. Their away record, and we know it's difficult to win in MLS away, is 3-6-2. Form-wise, Austin is pretty much right alongside St. Louis, so that makes this an even more interesting matchup where Austin had lost their two Leagues Cup matches against Juarez and Mazatlan 3-1 in both of those. Austin, before that, had defeated Sporting Kansas City 2-1, and this is an Austin team that's kind of hit or miss in how their year goes. It's a little bit more of a streaky team than even St. Louis is, but they're big streaks. So Austin, after they started off their year with a 3-2 loss against St. Louis in the most memorable match I think a lot of us have for St. Louis, they were bounced from the CONCACAF Champions League early. They had a rough start to their 2023 season, starting off just 2-5-4. and four. But since then, and since they played long since they played St. Louis, Austin has gone 7-4-1 and one with five clean sheets, their last ones being back-to-back in June. So this is kind of a different Austin team than we've seen, or at least we saw the first time around, right, Jake? Yeah, I, I really think it goes both ways, too. Like, um, But since we're touching on Austin, I think they they just they, – they look – something's different about them, you know, like – I don't know what I can't exactly put my foot on it, but something is they're they're just playing a lot better, you know, and the seven and four seven four and one record is certainly a, is a testament to that. Yeah the the one question I have about Austin though because this is kind of a reset for both teams and you're and you're right both teams are markedly different than they were at the beginning of the season. This in particular, though, besides being such a unique thing for MLS teams to have to deal with this restart of a season after a break, and regardless of how long the break was, it was a a stop in your season. It was a refocusing. It was just a, a shift in dynamics. And then all of a sudden you're coming back. So for both teams, this is a second opening game of sorts, along with the home field advantage that St. Louis has and that we know that it can make a difference. I feel that this is more of a of a test for Austin, not just because they're away during this match, but they're the ones who have had more of a seismic organizational type shift in the transfer window, 
and also in some of their front office personnel. They brought in a new sporting director, Rodolfo Borrell, to replace Claudio Reyna here just in the past month or so. And he made himself quite a splash. Stu, Memo Rodriguez coming in, Diego Fagundes going out. What do we think this does for Austin as both on the field and maybe culturally? Well, anytime you have something like that, it's a major shift. I mean, Diego Fagundes, he's a guy who's bounced around for years in MLS. He was, uh, I mean, a wonderkind with uh, Revolution for years. And then he he seemed, well, it was a huge splash when he got his uh, U.S. national team. Um, he qualified for them. Anyways, uh, no, Austin, they're... It is a major splash, but also Sunday night, we're going to have our lights out and we're going to do our special opening just for Austin. We're going to have home field advantage. I'm confident in what we see with Reyna out. I mean, Reyna, anyone who doesn't know about how Claudio Reyna bombed out of uh, Austin and burned his bridges with uh, U.S. soccer. It's uh, a fun, fun uh, Google. That's a deep dive for you. Yeah, good deep dive, but he he's not welcome around anymore. And the the overall changes by, I guess you could say by Rodolfo Burrell, but also by Josh Wolf because they're they kind of operating hand in hand. It seems like they're, this could be the beginning of something more than anything. The the quotes from, and, and looking at the striker, which is, I think, the, well, it was the preeminent Austin FC uh, go-to source, and, and they're on a hiatus at this moment, but hopefully they return because they did some fantastic work. Yeah. The striker had some interesting words about bringing in Memo Rodriguez and, and sending out Diego Fagundes and, and also uh, bringing in Matt Hedges. It's it, the words that they had say that on paper, the summer transfer window for Austin seems like a net positive, though maybe not as roster remaking as you'd hoped for. This is speaking to their fan base, bringing in uh, Rodolfo Burrell and then having him talk about having no real roster flexibility. And this kind of struck a nerve with me or struck a chord with me because after having looked at looked at what St. Louis City had built and seeing the flexibility that they purposefully gave themselves this is an interesting way to look at sending out Diego Fagundes. Borrell had talked about no roster flexibility with either roster slots or with the Garber Bucks. And apparently, Austin is in a crunch for allocation money, so their inability to get more players, to make moves, they've got some big contracts there. They kind of make sense in what they did with this, but the apparently this move happened pretty last minute. Borrell said the move happened last minute and it was designed to give them salary cap flexibility between three hundred and nine hundred thousand dollars of GAM coming their way, depending on how some of these conditionals go with Memo Rodriguez and with Diego Fagundes. But there's more to Diego than just the way he plays on the field. Yeah. He's called arguably the emotional heart of the club for nearly its entire on-field history. And so this this first match for them is just as much about Austin finding their identity and seeing how this loss is going to impact the rest of the team and their relationship with Josh Wolf, just as much as it is anything on the field and form and and how the players can be cohesive without Fagundes. Uh, Wolf, in an interesting statement, hinted apparently at the start of the transfer window that almost no one was untouchable. 
So the way that the team responds to this move be, before anything else happens in their offseason is going to be fascinating to watch. Jake, do you think that do you think that this makes this much more of a test for Austin as opposed to just a regular matchup between these two clubs? Yeah, uh, uh, like you said, just he was the heart and soul, like you said, and I just I think they're going to have to play more as a team. I in a way like they have to be more just yeah cohesive, and I I really think this will be a massive test for them. So and some of those key players are going to have to step up, I think, for. For Austin in different ways too. So we're going to talk in a few minutes about their style and how their formations usually work together. But without Fagundes, it's it's kind of going to be just an interesting test. We're looking at guys like Sebastian Driussi, who is probably the biggest and best known name. Everybody from St. Louis who watched their first game should obviously remember him. Where's the number 10? Plays the number 10. Leads their team in goals with six, has three assists, and he has 51 shots on the season with 17 on target leads the team in both of those categories, along with 14 key passes. So this is the guy who, similar to Ahani Mukhtar, is where their offense flows through. And he's one of those guys, when you talk keys to the game, that you shut down Drew Yusey and you can shut down a good portion of their game. But Stu, some of these other guys we're both familiar and not familiar with as far as a Nick Lima, Ethan Finley, Jossie Zardes, and Daniel Pereira. Are there any guys that you think we should be watching out for in particular from Austin that can make a difference, or does it really revolve around Driussi? Uh is the big one, but um, Zardes is a long, I mean, he's a long-standing, uh, kind of the butt of jokes for a lot of U.S. soccer fans, but he's been around for a long time for a good reason, because he finishes. And he might finish in comical ways, but he's doing the job. And Ethan Finley was with uh, Minnesota United for a long time. Uh, he's a great threat on the wing on the right side. Uh, Nick Lima's fantastic right back as well. Uh, and our favorite uh, St. Louis son, uh, Kip Keller, is back up with uh, Austin. Short-haired uh, Kip Keller, apparently. And that's good. Uh, we love Kip. Fantastic. He helped beat uh, Sporting KC with Austin FC two to one three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Made their highlights. He did. Uh, so he's done well with them coming up again. And Amro Tarek, who had that fantastic own goal in uh, CONCACAF Champions League, was released. So Austin's really going to rely on Kip Keller. Hopefully he does well, but not against us. But Hopefully he, he goes under the radar, right? Where it's not not good, but there's nothing overly bad for his sake. Yeah, I mean, if if Kip has another own goal against us or back pass, I, I mean, if he does, I think there will be a fight on the field. But <laughs> I... I Hopefully it's not with Jared Stroud this time. I think those two uh, oh, <laughs> might have burned their bridges already. That's that's the drama we want to see is before the match. How do you know Stroud and Keller talk to each other again? Will they shake hands? Will they avoid each other? But I think, I mean, as friends, I'm sure they're professionals and it'll be fine. 
Fair points. Jake, anything else you want to say about the players or maybe any of these big picture stories before we dive into the styles of play and some of the characteristics of these teams? Uh, not really. All I was going to bring up was the back pass, but I'm going to pass it back to you on that. <laughs> it, now, in general, though, I think we can all agree if, if there another back pass situation occurs, we're not going to look to give horse in the mouth here and as we've talked about in depth before, these things are also a byproduct of St. Louis's pressing very intentionally across the board, as opposed to uh, just random errors that MLS national mm. pundits might like to attribute to being lucky. We've we've beaten that horse down, so I think we can we can move on. But from that, but it's interesting to see how some of these teams' strengths and weaknesses line up because we know that St. Louis is great on set pieces. We know that we create a whole bunch of chances. We like to move the ball down the wings a whole lot. But seeing how this Austin FC team has developed over the course of the season after we first saw them, that first game of the season, it can be an indicator, but. I think both teams were trying to figure themselves out and Austin's start to the season definitely showed that they had a lot to figure out through the course of this year. They've shown themselves pretty adept at their own set pieces, their own ability to attack down the wings and create chances with through balls. But what they, what they have been very weak against pretty much the entire season are defending counterattacks, uh, stopping opponents from creating chances and defending set pieces. Now, when I think of things that St. Louis has, that can uh, really match up well against them. I definitely think of counter-pressing. I think of set pieces. And, it, and it's really been St. Louis's bread and butter, guys, on the past few games and, and most of the season when Edu Leuven especially has been on the field is our set piece chance creation and, and deadliness really from any range, whether it's a corner kick, whether it's a free kick from 25, 30 yards out. Edu Leuven has this eye for goal and Austin is historically weak at defending those set pieces. It's going to be really interesting to me to see if we're able to get ourselves in positions like we did against Miami to capitalize on some of those set pieces. Jake, are there any players from St. Louis? I would say that you're really interested to see match up against this Austin team. Well, Leuven for sure, because like you said, he's just been, insane on the free kick like you saw it against vancouver saw it against miami and i just i think lubin's the one to watch blom especially because when he when he's on it he looks like out otherworldly in this league so i i think lubin and blom in the midfield are going to be very important for this team to I would I would echo that to the nth degree because we talked about Sebastian Driussi and what he can bring to this team playing a little deep underneath Zardes. And that's often where uh, Josh Wolf had said that he wants to start seeing uh, Sebastian Driussi. He, he, in fact, said uh, he Josh Wolf said he expects to see Sebastian Driussi in more of a false nine role in the short term, at least until both Jossie Zardes and Maxi Arudi return from injuries that they sustained at the beginning of their League's Cup journey which does bring up an interesting point of how healthy this Austin team will be in general. Uh, we know St. Louis is recovering or recovered in large parts from a lot of their wear and tear, but this Austin team has seen a lot of injuries. They came into their break from League's Cup with guys like Jossie Zardes, Maxi Arudi, 
Emmy Rigoni, Danny Pereira, and Alex Ring all having sustained injuries in the last month or two of their season. And that's on top of guys like Leo Vasanian, who tore his right LCL in his knee and had been out for, for a few months here. Now, he's an interesting person to watch, aside from the fact that Vasanian is was teammates with Rasmus Alm at Elfsborg, which is a highly fascinating thing that I'll be interested to see if both of those players are on the field at the same time. But the latest news is that he has returned to training as well. Timeline's still a little unclear on when he'll play, so we don't know if he's going to be on the field for Austin at the same time. And so that could change a little bit of how their team lines up as well. Looking at what uh, what the striker had to say in some of their formations and the way their style lines up, they said until Leo Vasanian returns from injury, the team's defensive anchor is most likely Julio Cascante's center-back partnership with Matt Hedges, who they brought in from mm-hmm. Toronto, and likely more of a stay-home role with Cascante having a little freedom to do some more attacking work. And and knowing how Memo Rodriguez fits into this whole thing, there's just a lot of unknowns on this Austin side with injuries, with new players, and how they're even going to line up because we've seen different formations attack St. Louis different ways. We've heard that with when Vasanian does come back, Austin could go back to a three-back system that they've used earlier this year, which was designed to give Fagundes and Sebastian Driussi some more space to operate like they did successfully last year. But without Vasanian coming back in the center-back role, it's really hard to tell where they're going to find a lot of their defensive prowess. And we also need to see if Jossi Zardes, uh, Maxi Arruti are going to be returning as well. So this just adds to the narrative of Austin having a ton to prove, guys. Stu, who do you think has more to prove in this, I think, between Austin and their their players returning, their new players, or St. Louis in needing to start off strong to really show that they're for real in the stretch run? Well, I'm just thinking of a guy like Isaac Jensen who has really turned it on with City to he had that incredible assist with uh, City to to uh, Johnny Klein. That beautiful, uh, fantastic, and it's it's really a restart for a lot of these guys too. Like, how is uh, as Azil Jackson gonna factor into this match? Uh, will Will Jensen play um, Nielsen or a guy like uh, Parker, who, as he's marshaled our backline, he's also really thinking about how he fits in with the team after this break. It's, it's such an interesting situation with the league's cup break, especially both teams going out at the same time because they have had the same amount of time to prepare. Um, just it's, it's a second preseason and it, it's weird but I think it benefits us, obviously, being at home. We're dominant, and I think we're the better team. Uh, so, but I, I would, I think guys like Jackson and Jensen, and obviously Thorson, who's debuting, and Nielsen, who might come off the bench, are gonna really feed into the feed from the crowd who's going to be rocking on Sunday. That's the key to me is going to be the crowd and, and seeing how Austin tends to tends to play a little bit. Some of the stats really tell a a picture of how we can expect this game to flow both from a pressing perspective and 
how the teams allow some of the goals. Some of the more interesting stats that I want to bring are the way that Austin likes to play the ball in their wide lanes. So what we can look for is a lot of those wide plays, especially if you go back and look at some of the highlights, the Sporting Kansas City game most recently, the way they played Juarez, I saw. They tried to move the ball in the wide areas, crossing to the middle. Oftentimes, they weren't even crossing looking for a header, looking for a shot. They would cross the ball to leave it centrally, try to create space and progress the play up a little bit more, uh, look for second chance opportunities especially. But Austin averages over a 50% possession all the way down their left side and nearly 60% in their middle half. So the way they move the ball up the field through their number six, through Pereira, and then out wide, kicking it to so that Sebastian Driussi and potentially Memo Rodriguez now can just find space in the middle to work. I've also heard that we can expect to see a little bit more of a pressing Austin team as opposed to dropping back into a mid-block when they lose the ball. And that kind of speaks to my favorite stat, which I have to bring up and I haven't had a chance to bring up in a month or so, uh, passes per defensive action, PPDA. So how many passes a team allows the opponent before they make a defensive action, like a tackle, an interception, or fouling them? And this this counts for in their attacking areas. So 40% of the pitch from the other team's own goal. St. Louis, we know, I've talked at, at nauseum about how they're the second lowest team in, the P, in PPDA, so they allow very few passes before they make a defensive action. It's the hallmark of a pressing team. Austin is right there in the middle of the league. They're 16th. In this, in this stat in the entire league. So we're going to see moments, I think, of, of their pressing and of their, their desire to disrupt City in their, on our back line where Parker or Nielsen, Hebert, Watts, one of those guys are going to be pressured, even Jabulu Blome. But our ability to move the ball quickly out of there and find space is where we're going to be successful. We know Austin, I said earlier, they're weak against the counterattack. And so our ability to regain possession and move the ball up the field quickly while having a guy like Nielsen. So whether he starts, whether he subs, he is so good at tracking back. Anybody who saw it in person against or with City 2 saw this. And so that's one of the more exciting things for me. And guys, let's let's dive into a little bit of what we think maybe some keys to the game are or how you think this is going to play out. And before we do that, let's remind everybody we are Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS coming at you for City's pregame right now. If you want to listen to a little bit more of us, we're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. We thank you for listening to us. We're excited, if you can't tell, for this Austin game to happen. And I think there's there's a lot of opportunity to quiet some critics with this as we look to how how City can attack Austin and some more keys to the game. I see a lot of opportunities. Jake, I don't know if you agree with me, on opportunities to quiet critics after our Club America match. Uh, loss I'll say uh, just the loss and how we how we kind of bounce out of league's cup because whether you look to rotation or whatever you want to point to to me MLS play is different from what we saw but how do you see St. Louis bouncing back into this first match post league's cup well I, I really do agree with how it's it's just it's going to be a really prove the doubters wrong match and because, like, when you get a lot of that many passes and to a point where Taylor Twelman's, you, you want to prove the Taylor Twelman's wrong, you know? Like, just prove them wrong. And it's going to be fun to see because going in with a win and staying in first 10 points or 10 games left in the year, 
that looks a lot better and makes people may make people forget about the uh about the league's cup exit i mean really there's no shame in losing to club america they're one of the most amazing teams they're the arguably biggest club in north america and they really showed it against us but uh on that right side, guys like Nick Lima and Ethan Finley, who are fantastic. Uh, that's who I'm going to concentrate on looking at on Sunday, just seeing how whoever our left uh, wing and uh, left back options are, how we approach that. Will we go with, uh, you know, Cal uh, Hebert over there? Will we go with someone like uh, John Nelson, who's a little more mobile and can go up and down that that side a little more freely but maybe won't defend as well or will we go with a wingback option like uh, Celio Pompeo uh, that's where I'm curious how Carnell's going to approach things so the so that leads me into a couple questions I have for you guys, and we did not prepare this beforehand. I wanted your off the cuff answers, and some of them I've just thought up on as we've talked here. But Stu, you had an interesting um, off the cuff comment there. What do you think our left back depth chart looks like right now? Uh, right now, I'd go with Cal Hebert. Then I would go with uh, John Nelson. Is Markanic uh, needing to prove himself to overtake Nelson, or does he get the benefit of the doubt to slot in ahead of him at this point? I think he has to prove himself slightly, but uh, that that goes with training. Mm-hmm. I know he's uh, you know shown with um, the Rapids this year and Rapids too, but I, I, for all the flack Nelson gets, he's still shown that he can be a capable left back or an MLS side. That's fair. I I like that. Jake, we have not scored. St. Louis City has not scored in open play since the Toronto FC game back on July 8th. Jeez. (laughs) Do you think we can score in open play against Austin FC? Short answer. I I, I think it's yes, I, I do. Um, because like you say, the, the, they're weak on the counterattack. And so I think if we can press them, get force a high leverage turnover, we can score an open play goal. Who's, who's most likely to score the open play goal? Do you think? Ooh, tough one. Um, I, I, I'd have to go either, uh, probably a Denneran actually, if he plays a Denneran could be a really dark horse option for a uh, open play goal. I'm not going to harp on this point too long, but I will, I will add that I would absolutely love that because in his goal scoring prowess in the month, since he came from San Antonio, Sam and does not have an open play goal. So that would be phenomenal to see that as a start to the final 11 games. Stu, I think you mentioned it earlier, but do you think Joachim Nilsson starts this game? Uh, well, I know he had time. He didn't play against Atlanta, but he played in the City 2 match previously. Mm-hmm. 
I would not start him if I was Carnell, but I am. I I don't know how their physios are rating him, and I'm pretty you know conservative. But yeah, no, I, I would love to see a Parker Nielsen uh, backline pairing, and if we see that, yeah, awesome. That's that's our partnership next year and beyond. All right. As we wrap up this episode of Flyer Footy on the Big 550 KTRS leading into St. Louis City's match against Austin FC, guys, let's hit some quick lineups and score prediction. I'll start us off piggybacking off of that point on Nielsen. I think we start him. I think if as long as everything's progressing well, I like the lineup of a 4-2-3-1 with Kyle Hebert, Joachim Nielsen, Tim Parker, and Akil Watts on our back line, Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven in the midfield, I think we stick with a tried and true after that. Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, Indiana Vasilev, and Nico Joachini up top. Now, I will throw a huge caveat of I would also love to see a Deneron in the game, Rasmus Alm in the game. I think it's a little early for Thorison. Um, I, I do, in my opinion, I would think that Anthony Markanic is more likely to see time. I, I see Bradley Carnell going with the new hand as opposed to somebody who he's been shying away from a little bit with Johnny Nelson, but I don't think either of them play. I see a scenario of Joachim Nielsen being subbed out in the second half, though Kyle Hebert sliding into a center back role. And then one of those Nelson or Markanic replacing him at left back. That'll be the, one of the most interesting things for me to see. And then my score prediction, I'm going to start it off with three, one St. Louis. I'll go with goals by, Joachim Nilsson, because why not? He's scored in every match he's played for a St. Louis City team so far. Let's keep the party going. And let's have an Eddie Leuven goal. And let's see an AZ Jackson get on the board. And, and that's my open play goal. I'll, I'll call AZ Jackson out for that one. Let's go, Jake. Let's go with you next. All right. So I'm, I'm actually going to go the uh, 4-4-2 formation with the same back line as that you did with Hebert. Nilsson, Parker, and Watts. And then the midfield is where I get a little, where it gets a little interesting. So I'm going to go Stroud, Leuven, Blom, and Alm. And then up top, the obvious pairing would be Joe Kenya Denneran. And so my score prediction is going to be 2 nothing St. Louis. And with goals from Watts. And let's go Alm. Spicy. I love it. Stu, what do you think? I won't go too crazy. I'm going to mirror your prediction. But I think when uh, Nielsen subs out, we're going to see maybe Stroud shift back, go crazy. And uh, Alm sub in. And that's Giochini and Enerin, Jackson, Stroud, Vasilev, Bloom, Hebert, Parker, Yarrow, Watts and Berkey. So, and I will say 3 1. And if anyone's listening who knows, Matt Baker has predicted correctly on the app uh, the most uh, scores this year, according to Jeremy Tripp. The. <laughs> I, I usually like to call I, I post my scores on game day through the app and so people can see, but I have been known to change it up from our flyover prediction. I own when I do, but uh if if I can keep guessing wins and keep getting it right, hey, I th- keep it going. There you go. We have been Flyover Footy. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the Big 550 KTRS leading up to St. Louis City against Austin FC. We're happy to be back at it. 
Jake, Stu, thanks for joining me. We're proud to bring this to you. Listen to us wherever you catch your podcast as well for our full show that we're going to have a little bit more to this week. For now, let's go St. Louis City. Welcome back to Flyover Footy and our wind down. And you know, this week has been kind of fun because we've seen Tim Parker get a little bit more involved and reveal a little bit more, um, I don't know what to call it, community engagement with Forehands collaboration of the, the new Parker drink. But seeing how Forehands is getting involved with that and more watch parties, that's been a fun development over the past month or so. And it's one of the, I guess, one of a few different community things we're going to talk about here. Um, guys, we finally saw the realization of the mini pitches. That's where I want to start this wind down. Because we had, we just got done talking about all of the kind of high stakes things about St. Louis City and the exciting return to City Park and, and all that action. But this is something that's kind of been near and dear to me because way back when MLS for the Lou was a thing and you started seeing these other expansion sides really start up, even Charlotte, Austin, Nashville, one of the cornerstones is working with U.S. Soccer Federation to install mini pitches around neighborhoods of these new MLS clubs. And this week, we finally had the announcement by St. Louis City SC on the first three mini pitch locations in Ferguson, Fairmont City, Illinois, and at DeSoto Park, right there in the city of St. Louis, just a, well, a long stone's throw from City Park. But they, they, they had this big unveiling or big presentation at DeSoto Park. That mini pitch is in progress with the Fairmont City mini pitch scheduled to break ground this fall. Ferguson next year, they're going to have a remaining, I think, eight uh, mini pitch locations with input from area residents, local park and recs departments, community groups, all finalized and announced in the near future. Stu, let me start with you. What do you think this means for the city of St. Louis and just the region to have these? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, DeSoto Park is where Liga Latina plays their matches, and they're a, uh, a amateur league that's been going for years, uh, largely immigrant community teams, and so much fun on Sundays if you ever get a chance to go up there. Uh, so that's fantastic. They're about three and a half blocks northeast of the stadium, and uh, it just shows that the team is very conscious and where they're putting these mini pitches. That and Fairmont City, Fairmont City, which has a large uh, Hispanic population, uh, some of the best Mexican food in the metro St. Louis area. Um, also, they host, or Fairmont City hosts the uh, Chorizo Bowl every off year, I think. That's right. Yeah. So very, again, very, these are not just throwing darts at a board. The team is conscious of where there is a need for these mini pitches, where they'll be used. They're not just doing this for the PR where they're going to put mini pitches. And, you know, six months later, they're just collecting dust. Uh, People like Lexi, work on these things for years and know where they're going. They work with 
uh, aldermen and local community leaders. So it's the first three of, or well, 11 of many. Mm-hmm. And I know I saw online some New York fans complaining about how they had 50 in New York. Well, New York's much larger. Complaining. Yeah. Well, shocking that a city like New York City has, you know, more mini pitches that they install. So it's really who who wants to complain? Just we right. need these everywhere. And uh, it's an incredible investment by the team that shows how much they care about the area. Jake, I'm curious your perspective on this one, because, um, you know, obviously different perspective from probably Stu in mind, but what do you think when you, when you hear this kind of a investment in the community, what do you, what comes to mind for you? Well, first of all, I, I just, I think the design looks really cool of them. And, and to touch on your point about the community, I think it, it just, they're doing what they set out to do in like when they first put out the bid for an MLS team. And I, I think it's really encouraging to hear from a sports team that is like growing that they want to put out and put back into the community and just help it out, help grow the game in underserved areas, like they say in the uh, press release. But I, I think it, like I said about Tyson Pierce, I think it's a really good testament to their investment in the community. And it seems like a pretty high tech investment too. So obviously the mini pitches for those who don't know, small customized hard court surfaces that as the club says, they're well suited for organized soccer and pickup games. But these mini pitches are also going to include lights to increase the number of hours that the spaces can be used. And I, I like the uh, the way that they describe these. The mini pitches are going to be installed, have Musco lighting installed. So they're the club's lighting partner. But in areas within a 15 mile radius of City Park that are particularly lacking or offering little soccer programming, they say. So it's it's kind of shining a light or being a beacon into the community surrounding City Park. It kind of paints an entirely new perspective on the idea of being a good community neighbor by extending soccer in kind of all ways around uh, around the stadium. The 15 mile radius around City Park is rather rather large for me. For sure, for sure. All right, guys. So that's that was what kind of I think the most exciting non soccer, non on the field soccer news that we had this week for St. Louis City. Um, there's some interesting things going on around the, the league that I wanted to spend just a little bit of time on. And before we get into the, the Nashville messy thing, cause I do want to, I do want to make kind of a note on that before I get on a soapbox there, but we had a question that was put out to us about spending from the club. So I want to, I'm interested in your guys' perspective on this. It came on the heels of the Philadelphia union being bounced from leagues cup. And it was Jim Curtin who was was giving uh, some quotes and comments after the game. And his quote is, I think the league rules are going to change. Him being messy, coming here is going to change a ton, and it should. The training wheels are off. So this came on the heels after Inter-Miami defeated the Philadelphia Union 4-1 to in the League's Cup semifinal. 
and Curtin, along with Union Captain Alejandro Bedoya, were basically echoing sentiments that uh, Steve Trundolo had said for LAFC and others have mentioned in the not-too-distant past outside of Miami, saying that the roster rules around MLS need to be relaxed and how League's Cup is kind of shining a light. Although, to me, it's almost the MLS teams that have lost have mentioned it. The MLS teams that have one haven't said a word like Nashville or obviously Miami who has made full use of the roster rules. I'm curious what you guys make of these comments. So Stu, let me start with you. Jim Curtin, LAFC, Steve Trundolo talking about the loosening of roster rules. Do you think we're actually going to see that to the point where it would make a meaningful difference across the board? Yeah, I, I, I think we'll see if we go with a fourth DP next year, think immediately there's a loosening right there but i mean ultimately it depends on what owners are willing to pay um if they loosen the rules and you have guys like uh a certain enos uh, stanley cronky who uh forgot he has a team in colorado and doesn't pay anything or you have uh john fisher in san jose does, does it change too much? I mean, well, and on that note, the the ironic thing to me is that the Philadelphia Union were 22nd in salary spend this year ahead of the summer transfer window. That was a footnote in this athletic article. So that's the key thing to me. And you hit it nail on the head is you can relax roster rules and restrictions all you want, but the teams still need to be spending and pushing the limits because if you're not already pushing the limits, then what is an additional DP slot. What is uh, less restrictions on who you can spend your money on really going to do? And I don't, I don't know if that's going to move the needle league wide. Even if you drop some of these restrictions, you're going to need to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, Jim Curtin was kind of talking to his ownership a little bit there. Union have obviously invested heavily in their own academy system for a few years and they're 22nd and spend, like you said, and they've done very, very well with that. However, you can always spend more. You can always invest more and put that into the first team. So could they do more? Obviously. Uh, could someone like Arthur Blank actually care about his team? Certainly he has the money. Um, or sorry, not Arthur Blank. Uh, I think Arthur Blank does care about his team with he all does, the money yeah. he's willing to spend. I'm thinking Revolution. Sorry, I'm blanking oh, on the name right there. Kraft. Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Robert Kraft. And he could build a that uh, soccer-specific stadium that he's been promising for 20 years. Um, no, it's you have to have the investment to go with the loosening of the restrictions. Otherwise, we're going to get you know, three super teams in MLS, which no one really wants. No, I, I think an ideal world is the parity with the increased skill and talent that loosening roster restrictions across the board can provide because that parity in MLS is actually one of the most exciting aspects of the league for me, knowing that it's not a battle for the top six or the top two, like we see in Europe so often where, yeah, the skill and the quality is on a different level entirely, but there are very few realistic opportunities for for teams to win leagues. Leicester is the exception to the rule, not the rule that makes it exciting. 
And if MLS can increase skill and talent across the board while keeping the parity, that's almost a perfect marriage to me of how you can grow the league. Jake, what are your thoughts on the roster rules and what MLS can do and kind of how things look? Well, to your point about like how you can keep the parity, I, I think one option could be a salary floor. Mm. And then you have a sal- like you have a floor and a cap, kind of like does the NHL do it? Um some something like that would be really nice for a league, I think, to keep the parity. Because like you have that minimum you have to invest. And then you have the other stuff that you can invest in, mm-hmm. but you know you're going. You know each team is going to spend X amount of dollars on on it. I would kind of be disappointed if all they did was a fourth DP. That's not even a band aid. That's more or less just like dabbing a wound and letting it still bleed through. I, I like the idea of a floor and a cap, and I like it even a step further. On Alejandro Bedoya, who was one of the players making the comments with Jim Curtin, he had said a few weeks ago about a luxury tax, as I believe Major League Baseball and I think the NBA do as well, yeah. where there is a cap. There's still a salary cap that exists. But if you want to go above and beyond that in certain ways, and knowing MLS, they would make it certain ways in which you could go above that, the money's then taxed at a a percentage of that is taxed and redistributed to the rest of the the league and so every team could benefit from a few teams deciding to go way above and beyond you do get into a scenario of are you breaking parity that way but it's an interesting approach and the other side is jake i love the idea of a floor because that is where you really start to see parity being maintained if you if you don't have a floor, then you could have some teams left behind, and that would just be bad for markets like New England or Chicago, who or or even like a, a Vancouver, Montreal, where they might not have the most ambitious owners. San Jose, even in that market, but you need to keep the, keep up with the rest of the league and at least in a minimum level. And that's to me where the single entity aspect can be leveraged very successfully. Is whether it's a competition committee or one of their other committees that they have majority rules with some of these new ownerships coming on board, you can pull them by their, by their tails kicking and screaming in certain ways to into this next era of MLS that hopefully Messi and Jorge Mas and all of them are ushering in. Yeah. Well, you also have to punish those owners who aren't willing to spend because in baseball with your, uh, luxury tax you have teams like in pittsburgh or oakland, oakland who for you know 20 years just siphoned off money uh from other teams who paid that luxury tax and they just did not invest and we we don't want that in mls obviously so a, a salary floor would help with that um but you also get the detriment in NHL where you have teams like Phoenix Coyotes who just buy up random say you have a Josie Altador who's for some reason signed to a five million a year contract by some washed up former US national team coach uh, and they they buy him up and put him on a long term 
uh, injured reserve or whatever have you. I mean, I think those are better than we have now. I'm just talking about possible drawbacks and uh, loopholes that owners who are skin flints might, you know, work on, take advantage of. Agreed. Anything else you guys want to talk about on the roster rules before we move on to what I have as our last topic? All right. What I want to talk about, guys, are is the League's Cup Final. And not necessarily the matchup, because it's Nashville and Miami, or Nashville v. Messi. I want to talk about what's going on with ticket prices and Nashville fans being priced out of their own stadium. Because the big thing on Twitter and social media, Reddit, that I've seen from Nashville fans is are two things, basically. One is just the exorbitant prices that are going around for resale and um, initial sale tickets. I saw it in the hundreds of dollars for supporter section that the club put out for, for tickets when they had their pre-sales. The, the, I, and I know that it's you want to make money on a game that you believe you can sell out the stadium. But as we know, we've had plenty of conversations about St. Louis's ticket price approach and, and all of that. You need to ensure affordability for your fan base. Otherwise, the whole concept of soccer for all rings hollow. So between the club selling prices, the club being Nashville, selling tickets themselves for hundreds of dollars to get in, I think it was $350 in the supporter section is what I saw, thought I saw. And between the resale prices at last look, uh, when we're recording this on Thursday night, seeing the cheapest tickets going for $450, $460, and the most expensive tickets being in the five digits. Messy mania has gotten out of hand to me when it comes to ticket prices, and the teams are going to need to be careful. Otherwise, these next two and a half years of Messi being in the league will get out of control as far as popular opinion being turned against not just Messi and Miami, but against their own clubs who aren't allowing them to, uh, and, and other fans who might not have a season ticket to allow them to get into the stadium. What, what do you think, Jake, well, let's start with you. What do you think about anything, the ticket prices and, and all of that that's coming from Messi that the clubs are doing? Well, um, I really think that just, just for the league's cup final, um, I really think they should play it at Nissan Stadium so you can have more options for tickets and like you can sell a little bit cheaper, preferably, and you have more more people being able to go in and see. But I I, I don't know if it's turf or not, which is apparently a big question. I think it's grass. Okay. I think Nissan Stadium. It is grass. grass. It is grass. Okay. But uh, I, I really think that would be a good idea for the League's Cup final. And as a whole, I it's just really tough to say because you, they're, they're owners. They're owners of sports teams. They're going to want to make a profit, and they will do whatever it takes to get there. So I – and – that includes pricing out your fans sometimes because it's going to be like 
you kind of think who wants it the most in a way Mm. like not not i don't mean like you're gonna like paying six hundred dollars once i i i my bad um but uh, no, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. Is the there's a there's a, a a battle the exact one that we saw when St. Louis City released their ticket prices, and it's ownership right. and the clubs wanting to make as much money. But what's the balance of you making the most money possible with still trying to not alienate fans? Right. 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 Yeah, and the the other side of it is apparently there is a we didn't go through this because obviously we were bounced from league's cup pretty early but apparently there was a pretty big um frustration from some Nashville SC fans who opted out do you guys remember uh the whole opt out thing when when St. Louis City had uh tickets you would hear that people would get emails and you would you could opt out of tickets or you had to opt in all that confusion well, a lot of people are now frustrated that they have season tickets. They chose to opt out and now they're priced out because of what the tickets are going for. So there's it, I think that part of it goes to some some part of what you were saying Jake too of you had there was an opportunity there. It might not have been the most clear, well thought out idea, but you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces when it comes to this right. kind of thing that that you have to really understand and there's i it it is a whole new world too i i keep coming back to this of messi in mls has disrupted the market and that's the the simplest way i could think to put it is he's disrupted the market to the point where the old systems and the systems that they had going into this tournament and going into this season of ticket pricing both season tickets individual tickets resales seat geek ticketmaster it's all broken because of Messi, like there were there were no safeguards that could have or or even may have been put into place to ensure affordability uh, when you're dealing with these these capitalistic resale sites and ownerships that want to make money off of as much money as possible. We're just seeing this whole thing magnified to the nth degree because of Messi, and I I don't know what can change. I have no answers to what can change in the next few years, but. This is year 0.5 of a two and a half year messy contract. We're in for a long couple of years of this kind of conversation if this persists. Yeah, I think we'll see more teams next year shifting to NFL stadiums or college football stadiums um, on the eastern seaboard, especially for Messi. I mean, we would probably have seen. Uh, a lot of tickets on the resale market uh, breaching a thousand here in St. Louis. If we were in the final, yeah. I mean, there were some going up to $800 a piece for the July 15th match before it came yep. up that he wasn't playing here. So I think people are going to just try to get what they want to get, but these are resale ticket prices. This is a resale market and these aren't, the official club prices which are basically uh, sold out yeah but that's uh, i think an important distinction as yes. much uh uh flack as i give uh mls and nashville and whoever these are not nashville sc asking three thousand dollars for a league's cup final for 
you know, 200 level seats. These are resale seats. They gave their most ardent supporters options to opt in. Yep. And uh, I, I saw a few, including a guy who supported Nashville SC since uh, NPSL days who didn't opt in. And uh, it's, yeah. I, I feel bad for him. And I would probably, why? Well, I mean, I bought like five tickets to Club America, so I did opt in. But uh, I could see myself in the same position and be disappointed. And uh, Denzel, their super fan as well, was in there. Yeah, it's it it's tough. It really is. Um, but if you don't opt in, you can't complain when the prices aren't that expensive. And then you want to watch your club play in a final. You yeah. don't expect to pay a thousand dollars, but I mean, you have to expect to pay more if it gets to that point. And it it, it's, yeah. it could be part of having or hoping that your club. I don't want to say have faith in your club getting there because I would be talking out of both sides of my mouth given what happened to St. Louis. But part of it is part of it to me is having seen just a small sample of what can occur and this coming from a market like St. Louis where there is no problem reselling your tickets. I I've had to do it a couple times, especially with my girls. Cause I have, I have four season tickets and they haven't been every match, but it's not hard to do in, and this is a market that not every team is like this, but a lot of teams are now that have wait lists for their tickets. And to me, as everybody's life situation is different and some it's, when you get an opportunity like this to pay additional um, on top of your season ticket, that is not an easy decision for everybody. But especially in markets like Nashville and like Austin and like St. Louis, where there are wait lists for season tickets, I believe that's the case for Nashville. Maybe yeah, they still, have a wait list. Yeah. yeah. Even with their biggest stadium, biggest soccer specific stadium in North America. And so at that point, it's okay, can I afford to buy these tickets? Do I want to see my team go as far as they can and be there? And worst case scenario, I can resell them for at least what I bought them for. Like I'm not talking about making a profit at this point, but that that has to be a thought that goes through season ticket holders' minds. I know it's gone through mine plenty of times for the Open Cup and for leagues cup and how do we approach that and worst case scenario we've even done it for the national team worst case scenario can we sell these tickets and you know i i just i feel that's the approach that um kind of especially for these super fans who talk on and my i guess myself is one of them talk on twitter all the time hyping up their clubs and going to every game making the loudest noise all everything that goes into that like that's the that's the fan that should be opting in and I, I don't want to say should be because I don't know. Everybody has a different situation, like I said. But I would think that if you're going to if you want to see your team go as far as they can in person and you're a season ticket holder and you have the opportunity to opt in, unless there's a life event that prevents you from it, do it and resell it if you need to. Otherwise, you have that ticket. And I think this may be a different this may be that different approach that I mentioned. So. The meets when I mentioned that Messi has kind of broke the market. This is the different conversation that I think fans are going to have going through their minds in these kinds of tournaments, in season tickets especially, or um, multi-game packages that teams tend to do. Is how can I ensure that if there is a possibility of Inter Miami being played by my club in my city, then I'm I'm securing the 
path to those tickets. Whether it's a tournament style, whether it's a group stage of something, whether it's regular season, like I think we're going to start to see more of those opportunities being taken advantage of throughout the league. All right, guys, anything else you want to touch on Nashville, Messi, or League's Cup at all, which is coming to an end this weekend, mercifully? Yeah, uh, I, I just want to say I've really enjoyed watching the League's Cup. I know some may have different opinions, but it has been, like, really fun to watch. Oh, wholeheartedly agree. I think this is... You can say what you will about MLS versus Liga MX about Messi and Inter Miami, but the concept of the tournament, I think, has been an overwhelming success. Coinciding with the Women's World Cup is the only thing that was frustrating at times because there were times where I wanted to go to bed early to wake up early, and I ended up losing a ton of sleep watching soccer into the evening and then waking up early. But more soccer is great uh, from a fan perspective, and uh, that's where we're coming from is the fan perspective I loved having matches every single night in August. That was just a fun time. And I look forward to that opportunity every year where it's, it, if it continues in its format, we're going to have that to look forward to of group stage soccer every year in July and August. And that's just, I don't know. It's fun. You're, you're spot on to me, Jake. I completely agree with you. Long-term, how I feel about League's Cup determines how uh, St. Louis City performs at the end of this year. If we win out because we had a nice one-month break, I love it. And I hope this happens every year. One of the other – so that – one of the, before we go, one of the other interesting things um, that I want to kind of tack on to this because Santi and I had mentioned this before were paths to the CONCACAF Champions Cup because we're starting to see a little more clarity in this. And so our next update on this is probably going to happen after the U.S. Open Cup um, semifinals and finals occur. The path to the CONCACAF Champions Cup includes the top three League's Cup spots, the U.S. Open Cup champion, and numerous spots from MLS. I think we're up to like five spots from MLS at this point, including the MLS Cup champ, Supporter Shield, opposite... uh, opposite conference champion and the next two best teams or something like that. And so because now we have Nashville and Miami and Nashville and Miami from MLS are taking the leagues cup spots, you could have a scenario of Miami winning the U S open cup and who would then qualify from the U S open cup and hearing from, um, on Twitter guy by the name of arch bell at arch bell, who is a senior writer and editor for CONCACAF.com, seems like a preeminent source of this information to me, had said on some clarification regarding the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup qualification, if Inter-Miami beats Cincinnati in the Open Cup semifinals, then the other semifinal between Houston and Real Salt Lake would determine that Champions Cup berth. So basically, whoever Inter-Miami would play in the finals of the U.S. Open Cup between Houston and Real Salt Lake, they would get the Champions Cup berth, not the U.S. Open Cup championship. Your champion. What it, what it means to me is I view this as a hierarchy in, and you're going to hate this, Stu. You're going to hate this so much. The hierarchy <laughs> of Champions Cup qualifications that sees League's Cup supersede the U.S. Open Cup superseding MLS. 
if the U.S. Open Cup champion isn't inherently brought into Champions Cup, it, first of all, devalues the tournament to me in comparisons to League's Cup, but it also kind of immediately puts League's Cup on a pedestal in the entire continent. I think that's intentional, very, very intentional by uh, MLS, and I think that came out originally when they announced this. But to me, what matters is St. Louis has to win out on the Western Conference so we get that berth for the opposite side because we're not we're not beating Cincinnati for the supporters shield. It's a but tall, can, tall ask. Yeah, we can finish top of Western Conference quite easily. Um, and if we do, uh, Jake, do you have your passport? Because I renewed mine recently, so I hope I hope you did. And Matt, I know you have yours. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> Actually, I was going to go to Germany when COVID happened, so my passport is renewed. Hey! Perfect. So uh, Granada or uh, Mexico or Belize? Yeah, we're all going to the Caribbean. Yeah, we're next year. We're doing awesome. Awesome. Do a live show from uh, sunny Belize City, Dengriga. Nice reminder that there's more to fight for in these last 11 games than just the Western Conference of MLS, playoff spots, anything that goes in league's play. I mean, we're fighting for a continental tournament berth here, and that's that's exciting, guys. And that's a good note to finish on. Thank you, Stu, for being the most optimistic one on this <laughs> podcast. It's a whole new world, I'm telling you. When I host, weird things happen, and that's all I can say. <laughs> but guys, let's uh, let's use that to get out of here. That's a good note to get out on. Jake, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time and hope to get you back on here more. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Stu, always good to see you again. So glad you could be here and so excited to keep talking with you going forward for these last 11 games. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun, and uh, let's win some titles. Santi's okay. He's just busy tonight. Phil, we hope you get better. He's dealing with a little illness, and so hopefully we talk to him again next week. Miss you dearly, bud. And I'm Matt Baker. Thank you for joining us here on Flyover Footy. Uh, if you've liked what you've listened to, give us a five-star rating. Review us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find us. Really appreciate everything that you guys do as listeners and the feedback you give us. We love doing this, and we're going to keep doing it the rest of the season, just like we've been doing it for the past few years, and no end in sight. We will talk to you later, and hopefully City pulls out a win. Santi and I are planning on being back again on, probably record on Monday for Flyover Fallout with hopefully some good news. And until then, we'll talk to you later. Oh, 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 oh,